Welcome to episode 21 of the Rex Chapman Show with Mr. Josh Hopkins. My guy, 21. Mr. Josh Hopkins. 21. Always for me, Dominique. Dominique. Always. 21. Dominique Wilkins. Yeah, he was yeah. my 21. That's how I remembered when people said, oh, it's room 21. I would just be like, Dominique Wilkins. Yeah. yeah. I can I don't know if I can even think of another 21. 21? Baseball? Football? Football? It's just sure. neat. Sure. It's just neat. It's just neat for me. Hey, real quickly, uh, let's do a little quick book club. Do you read anything this week? Interestingly enough, I did not. Um, me either. That's been book. Really? Yeah. Hey, real, okay. The finals, it's happened. Your son's lost. Are you okay? Sons took it on the chin. I'm okay. Sons went to the finals, almost won the finals. Um, nobody expected it. Uh, yes. And said it last week. Milwaukee, tough team to dislike. Mm -hmm. They say all the right things. They go about it the right way. Giannis is a superstar. Chris Middleton is a superstar. Drew Holiday is a superstar. I mean, good. Good for them. Congrats. Well, well, well deserved. I'm thrilled for uh, Milwaukee, the state of the Wisconsin. The market of Milwaukee, that's pretty cool. That's great. Oh, man. You know, I, you know, I, a, I was in the, I was in the stands cool. for two of those games, and it's essentially a brand-new arena the last year or two. Uh, amazing. Amazing. It was loud, raucous. Uh, they had, I want to say, 75,000 people outside the arena. It was, uh, <laughs> it was insane. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Then I, we got to touch before we go to, I'm really excited about our guest. Uh, the Olympic team is really struggling. And I think we, we do have to say, if you go back um, to our previous pods, we both said we were going to struggle. It, it, we said we probably wouldn't win many of our exhibitions. And we were like, definitely France is going to beat us. How did we know that? Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, it's not easy. Our guys, I remember we used to go over there and everybody just thinks we're going to remember the Charles Barkley, the dream team that went over there and they won every game by 40 points. Well, the countries that we were playing against then may have had two or three NBA players total. Now, you know, the, Team, the African, the Nigerian team that we played against has five pros on it. Yeah. Australia has three or four pros. France has, and when I say pros, NBA players. These are NBA players. Right. Of course, all of them play are play professionally overseas, but most teams have multiple NBA players on them, and and those guys play differently for their home countries. They just do. Right. If you go if you go from being the fifth fifth scorer over here on your NBA team, you're going to be the first or second scorer on your team in, uh, in FIBA. So we've got our work cut out for us, but uh, I think we're going to get it together. Well, we, uh, we both made our predictions on what's going to happen, but let's don't tell them now. Let's tell, let's tell the audience later and we'll see if we're right. That's right. That's how we do okay. it. Cause Sounds that's good. how we do it. You know, Who's our Josh, guest today, our guest, I'm fired up. It's another dookie. We're, we've got our second dookie on and you're going to just have uh, to roll with it here. Young coach, not so young anymore, but he's, <laughs> he's started when he was really young. We've got young Jeff compared Capel. to us. That's right. Capel. We've got Jeff Capel on the show today, and I'm fired up. Coach's son. What do you think about? What do you think about? 
soon as I hear it, that shot, that runner, that that beautiful runner. Yeah. Roars, cash money, as soon as it was gone. Let's get to Jeff Capel, Josh. Let's do it. Felton Jeffrey Capel III. Welcome, (laughs) coach. Wow, the whole name. The whole name. (laughs) You're our our second dookie, coach, and that's our limit. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. You saved the best for last, then. All right. All right. We'll tell JJ you said that. (laughs) How are are things at Pitt? Things are good, man. Things are good. We're plugging away, getting better each day. Um, Almost done with the second session of summer school and finishing up strong, get a little break, and get ready to get back started at the end of August. How how hard is this last, this past season been? And again, I, I say this, and you know, I'm a basketball nut. i I, I pride myself in going to watch players and I haven't been able to see a player, you know, I'm not affiliated with the team or anything. So haven't been able to see a player, a college player in a whole year. I can't imagine the, with all the protocols that you guys have that, that this last season had to have been just something uh, just maniacal for you guys. Yeah, it was crazy. It, it, It really was. It was just such a, you could never get used to it. I mean, the very first thing, the games themselves and playing every game with no fans. Um, some of the places had artificial crowd noise and it just was always eerie. I mean, as much as you think, okay, you get used to it, you never really got used to it. Um, I think it affected the home teams more than the visiting teams. Um, you know, all of, I mean, can you imagine you know, you got, you know, you guys are Kentucky guys. Like, can you imagine being 18, 19, 20 years old in school dealing with this? You know what I mean? Like you can't go out. You can't, you have a big win and you play well and things like that. You can't go out and do what a college kid. I mean, it's just, it was a lot of that. And so I applaud these kids um, for, you know, putting themselves on the line to go out and play and to perform and, you know, I, I was a big advocate of this year, especially for the media to be a little bit more uh, cognizant of what these kids went through and not to judge them um, quite as harsh as maybe you normally do, because it, it, it was a lot of stuff going on that people didn't realize. You, you know, the pressure cooker that comes with playing big time college basketball, Josh and I talk about it. And, you know, we, of course, live and die with Kentucky hoops, uh, just like every crazy fan. Um, I couldn't imagine this year being a Kentucky Wildcat, you know, that now think about this. It's your dream to come and play at this school and you get there and it's COVID. There are no fans. You, you can't go out. Like you said, you can't, you can't date. You can't, you're with the same group of guys you're with all year. And then you have the worst season in recent, you know, so they got to, they got to enjoy zero of what, of what playing at Kentucky is really all about. And I know it had to, it had to take its toll on the, on the coaches took its toll on the fans, but these players are so young and you said it, you know, the NBA guys, they're playing in the bubble. They've at least played a bunch of basketball by now. Some of these and kids are coming straight from money. high school. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and their dream is to be on this stage. I mean, here you are at Rupp. At Cameron, can you imagine the, the, the crazies, the Cameron crazies? And now they got cardboard cut-ups of yeah. Cameron crazies. I mean, yeah. the, the 
the experience they're denied. No, no question. And then for the players, you know, to go through that pressure cooker, like Kentucky, like a Duke, like a North Carolina, like I was at Duke the last time they had a losing season. That was my sophomore year. My freshman year, we played for the national championship. My sophomore year, we were 2-14 and 14 in the ACC. But at least you had some things that you could go and do and that could, you know, relieve because it was it was it was hell as a player going through that. You felt like you let everybody down, the fans, the former players, the coaches, the people that built the program, you know, and things like that. But at least there was still some normalcy, even though you didn't want to go out and do anything because you were embarrassed. You had the option where you could do that where you could get away, where you could, you know, do that. I mean, these kids, you couldn't even get in the gym at times, right? You couldn't come in after hours and work out because of the protocols at some places that were there. And so it, it was just a very, very unique season um, that hopefully, fingers crossed, man, we can we can get out of this and, and be able to, you know, walk towards normalcy going forward. Uh, hey, Coach, what, what was it like um, if we step out of it for a second? Because I want to hear – we talked to Scott Drew earlier, and he had a similar background in that basketball since, you know, all he can remember. Your dad is a coach. You came up playing. You went to the Blue Blood Duke. Your brother, Jason, went to the Blue Blood Carolina. What is that about? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's all – you now you're that's your profession. You're – Big time coach, what's that like to to know one family business like that? And then what do you think you would be doing had that not been the case? You know, it's it's you know, like Rex said earlier, man, I I I love it. Like I love the game. I fell in love with the game when I was about five or six years old. And I just I have a a passion for it, man. I mean, I, I love everything about it. I, I love I I've said this, like I I love being a part of a team. Like to me, there was nothing like being a part of a team and not just the competition, the games, but the camaraderie, the after practice, the talking trash to each other in the locker room, you know, on the bus and the hotel, you know, things like that. Um, there's nothing like it. And so to, to be able to continue to do this as I'm in my you know, mid to late forties, is an, is an unbelievable blessing. I mean, it goes back for me when I was my dad's ball boy when he was a high school coach. Right, right. Being on the bus. And, you know, I, I remember what it was like, you know, to if my dad's team won, then it was it was pretty good at home. We went out to eat. We, we did that. <laughs> if they lost, we knew, like, you better be quiet. Like, you, it, it's wow. going to be – and so all of that. And, and, and so uh, – I I can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, look, my dream job when I was in college, when I was in high school and college, obviously I wanted to play in the NBA. I had an illness and an injury that kind of stopped that from happening. But my dream was to play in the NBA and then to get into the front office. And my dream job was always to be an NBA general manager. I never wanted to coach when I was in high school in college, this is not something that I kind of aspired to do because I saw what my dad went through and I saw the difficulty and the, and the thing like that. But I knew I wanted to do something in basketball. I knew I wanted to do that. 
Uh, it, it sounds sounds very familiar. Um, walking around on eggshells in between yeah. the losses, and yeah. uh, we were just talking about. I was just talking about that with my folks the other day. Um, you know, I uh, the first time I heard of you, and I I, I want to talk more about your dad, um, Jeff Capel. The internet wasn't what it is now. Jeff Capel from North Carolina, one last second buzzer beater, win the state. Um, son of a coach, and you showed up at Duke. I was expecting a white kid. <laughs> I, re I really was. And, and I, I say that because when I was young in the seventies watching TV, if you were a coach's son, chances were you were white. Yeah. And I didn't really know. I knew Danny Manning's dad started sure. coaching, but he wasn't a head coach. Where did your dad get his opportunity and obviously we see how it's shaped, you know, your family, but where, yeah. where did that start and how did it start? I'm fascinated. You know, yeah. You know, my dad's journey was incredible because he was like, I, I am the product of my dad and coach Thompson and Cheney, coach Richardson, coach McClendon guys like that. But I'm also the product of being connected to Duke and to coach K. My dad didn't have that opportunity. So where he got his start, he was a volunteer high school coach and he got to coach JV. And it was at the school where he went to the high school. He got to coach JV. He got to coach JV and was a volunteer, you know, assistant high school coach, got to coach JV. And then he became the head high school coach there. And he was pretty good. Like they won. When was that? What, it was you know a high school. It what was year uh, ish. Yeah, so I was born in 75, so I think he became the head coach in like 74, 75. Wow, okay, okay. And so he was there. You know, we moved a lot with my dad coaching. Mm -hmm. I know your dad was a coach, right? I don't know if you guys moved. We moved a lot. We so I know we were in Fayetteville, which is my home, Fayetteville, North Carolina. We were there from the time I was born until the end of first grade. And then we moved to Southern Pines, the Pinehurst area. I was there from second to fifth grade. And he still was a high school coach during that time. They were commuting from, he was commuting from Fayetteville to Southern Pines, Pinehurst, up until we moved. And then he became a college assistant coach at Wake Forest University. And so how that happened, he took his team to Wake Forest team camp. And the head coach at the time, Bob Stack, was really impressed with what he did. He had an opening on his staff. He needed a black coach. And so he hired my dad. Um, and we were there from fifth, from, from, from fifth to eighth grade, sixth to eighth grade. That's when we were there. And so my first year there, Muggsy Bogues was the point guard. Your guy. You're my guy. I was on the cover of Wake Forest's media guy with Muggsy Bogues. And so my brother and I used to play Muggsy like two on one after practice and things like that. And so he, that, that's how he got into college coaching. And then he became the head coach at his alma mater, a division two historically black university, Fayetteville state university. And so he was there from the time I was in ninth to 12th grade. So I graduated. Then he was the head coach at North Carolina A&T for one season, got them to the NCAA tournament and then got the head job at Old Dominion University. So that was kind of his plight. It was him. He was not connected to a Coach Smith, a Coach Patino, a Coach K, and Izzo, you know, any of those guys. He kind of did it on his own. 
he really just, he was seen. He took his, what he did on the road yeah. to a camp and yeah. he was seen at that camp. Uh, it's such a small world. Mugsy, yeah. of course, Bob Stack uh, yeah. was with me in Washington. Uh, yep. we go, we go way back. Um, yeah, I, I just, and then you said, uh, uh, you know, you were moving around. I can only yeah. imagine how that was at what, at what, uh, age were you and your brother? Did, did you guys just go at it? <laughs> really from the time I'd probably say from the time, cause he had a growth spurt. My brother was, when he was young, he was, he was kind of big. He was kind of chunky. Okay. Husky as we would say. Okay. Uh, back then. <laughs> but then man, after like seventh grade, he hit this huge growth spurt where he went from like five, eight to six, five. And so that's when we really started to kind of go at it, you know, cause he was around the same size. He was so big for his age and he hung out with me and my teammates when I was in high school and he was in like sixth, seventh grade. Fantastic. Fantastic. I, I'm just, I'm just fascinated. Hey coach, what, I know this is kind of, it's a kind of a general question. Um, and I don't know that there's a short answer to it, but uh, we've all, you know, grown up watching what we feel like has been amateurism and college basketball. And, you know, we're coming to a point where, now, you know, you and I, when we went to school, we signed a letter of intent. We, you know, we know now that, you know, <laughs> you sign away your image and likeness yeah. in perpetuity. Um, how is, how are players now that they can retain their name, image, and likeness, um, how is that going to change everything? And, and not only for the players in general, but how for the, for the schools, how's it going to impact a, a pit versus a Duke? It, 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 it changes it completely. I mean, I, I, I always, I mean, I, I think now, like, think of the money you would have made. <laughs> and you, I mean, but yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm but like you. that, like you think you had JJ, think of the money JJ would have made. You, you know, know what I mean? Money like, I would have given Rex. I mean, I would have yeah. <laughs> just walked up and gave him my allowance, my bike. Whatever. I mean, yeah, man. I mean, I was a huge Rex Chapman fan, man. When I was, oh, I mean, I'm seriously, nice, I'm, I, I, I'm telling you, like you talked about, you thought I was gonna be, you know, this this white guy. I couldn't believe a white guy could jump like that, had flavor like that. You know what I mean? Like the when you made that runner, when you made that <laughs> runner, I knew it, and it was good from the time you let it go. Yeah, yeah, and and by the way, we're all friends here. Uh, what felt. <laughs> What was more exciting for you, hitting that to send at home in front of the Cameron Crazies to send that to double overtime in the Tobacco Road game or the birth of your children? <laughs> That's easy, the birth of my children. <laughs> All right. No, but no, you know, how it affects it, I mean, it's, it's to me, it's the end of amateurism. Like, that's, it. it is. And I think everyone now is trying to figure out how to navigate. I, I think you're gonna see a lot of different things. In my opinion, the schools, the programs, the athletic departments now that had already prepared for this because it wasn't a matter of if it was gonna happen, yeah. it was when. And I do know that some people have been preparing for it. I think that they're gonna be the ones that are ahead right now. Rex, I. I don't think it just changes like coaching and the players. 
I think it changes how you run an athletic department. I think as an athletic director or as an athletic department now, maybe even as a university, you have to you have to think differently. You have to think outside the box. The traditional way of thinking, like you and I thought when we were in school and the way it was, that's out the window. And so you have to be creative. You know, you have to understand or have someone in your program and or athletic department that truly understands the power of social media, how to utilize social media. Um, it can't be, well, we're these old people now. Well, this doesn't make sense. This is this is stupid. This It doesn't matter to us. It's, it's how do you affect these kids and how do you help them? How do you put them in the best position for them to monetize their name, image, and likeness? I'm trying. It's fantastic. I, I, we could talk about this all day. I'm trying to wrap my head around it because like, like you said, I think everyone is. But I guess what I'm trying to understand, let's say you have a J.J. Reddick or a, a Zion Williamson, an Anthony Davis. Uh, where does the recruiting start? How, how do you even approach that guy? And what can you say to him? Can you say anything? Can you say, I, I mean, is it boosters? Who's going to pay them? Is it yeah. sponsors? Is it a free-for-all? Yeah, I don't it's, know. It's basically a free for Right now, the way the rules are, we aren't supposed to – we're not supposed to have anything to do with the coaches. We're not supposed to be able to – like, as, as a, at least from what our compliance explained to me, if we have a kid come in, I ask, could we do a presentation of the opportunities that we could do? They told us if we have kids already that have, you know, deals, then we could talk about that. But it can't be here's what we can do. Wow. But what, but what you can do, let's say if you are a program and you have a really large social media follower, you can talk to them about, hey, look, if you come to the University of Pittsburgh, here are all of our followers. Every time we put out a tweet, every time we put out a video, look at how many hits. So just by you joining our program, these people are going to follow you. And then here are some of the opportunities that you could potentially get. That's how it happens. I do think it's going to be boosters. I do think that. I mean, yeah. you guys probably read what happened at the University of Miami with the football. With yeah. The booster yeah. that did that. I think that's going to happen. And that's legal. And so I, I do think it will be a free for all around. And then what it could do is that if you're at a place, you know, like I always think about, like if you're at a place, you know, like I always use Arkansas because there's no other high major program in that state and there are no professional sports. Right. And so you are the show, like at Kentucky, like you're the show in the state of Kentucky. You know, it's certain, some of these SEC schools where there's really nothing else but them. And so what does, what does that do? And so it's, it's going to be really fascinating, especially these first few years, to, to see how people navigate this. Also, if you juxtapose that, like, of course, that's a, that's a big positive for, to sell. But like uh, a school like Texas, which has a lot competing with it, sports, great universities, but they also have the most billionaires of any state, you know, by far. I mean, what's going to win out? Boosters or just popularity amongst the people? Yeah, I think it's going to be both. I think it's going to be both. I mean, you guys know, man, you've been around it. Some of these boosters, it becomes an ego thing to them. 
Mm-hmm. Like, well, shoot, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Well, I mm-hmm. see what they're doing. Well, no, we want our team to be good, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to offer this. And so I, th- that's what I mean. I don't think anyone truly knows yet, but to me, the people that are the most creative and understand and, and thinking outside the box, and that's what I mean. I think athletic, like, if you are a booster, so like one of the traditional things that have all that, that's happened, especially at this level, at a power five, at a high major level, as a coach, I'm talking about as a coach, right? Like part of your contract usually is that you get a car or you get a car allowance. So they make a deal. The university has a deal with maybe several dealerships. Well, all of a sudden, what if you have Anthony Davis and you say, hey, I don't want to give, you know, Kenny Payne that car, right? I, I want to give this to Anthony Davis. Right. Like what happens then as an yeah. athletic department? Like what happens? I mean, give them both cars. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Come on, guys. You know the the flip side of this, and I, I know you you guys are going to go through it. I, I think back about being you know seventeen, walk you know eighteen, walking onto Kentucky's campus, and we had a whole team of McDonald's All Americans. I honestly, Josh knows this. We've talked about it before. I was hoping when I left school, they weren't going to redshirt me. I weighed 160 pounds. You know, we had Ed Davender and James Blackman in the backcourt. Um, I wonder, you know, if I go in and I'm making a ton of money and everybody knows I'm making a ton of money. And then I suck for a while because most freshmen suck um, for a while and go through it. And I played pretty well as a freshman, but I still sucked a lot. I just, I wonder, A, well, you guys are going to have a whole different thing you got to deal with now. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Ego wise and from a youth standpoint and teaching and all of that stuff. But for the kid and the young man, my biggest worry is that it might de-incentivize becoming a great player yeah and, and that just, that's no, it's interesting. no rex you, you're exactly right i mean when, when i talked to our team about it you know the day that it passed and, and we met and we talked about it and tried to do a q a and brought someone in to, to maybe explain it a little bit better than I could. But when I got up to talk, my thing was like, I'm excited for you. And I truly am. Like, I'm excited about the opportunity. But don't lose sight of the most important thing. Like, you know, w- one of the things, when I went back to Duke to coach, it was fascinating to me the first time, I can't remember if it was a home visit or we had someone in for a visit. But again, I hadn't been at Duke since I graduated in 97. Yeah, I wasn't an assistant there before I became a head coach. My plight was like really, really different. And so when I went back there and I remember the first time hearing coach do like a recruiting spiel, I was blown away that he talked about brand. Wow. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. was talking to the kids about creating a brand and, you know, you come here and do their three brands and, you know, the university, the basketball program, and then he has a brand and you automatically join that and, you're making a – and I've just started thinking, like, how many guys – really? I know. And, 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 to, and you would know this better than me because you played in that league. But how many NBA guys truly have a brand? How many professional athletes actually truly – they always say they want – but how many – in order to have a brand, you have to be really good. 
And so that's the thing I told them, like, don't lose sight chasing something of the thing that's most important. How you become a brand or how you get these opportunities is if you're good. You, you have know, to be you, good. You make a, a, a great point. And, you know, these you've almost got to reframe it to these guys. Uh, I've always said, you know, it's there. It's never been easier to go to the pros. You can come out of the draft and go to the pros. You might even get drafted in the first couple of rounds. The, the, I, the goal is not to go. The goal is to stay. And now it's almost like you can say to these young men, Hey, you know, this is the first step. And, you know, because then you can go to the next step. And if you become a really good player after that first contract, then, 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 but this now, especially, you know, now that you can talk about money and finances and stuff like that, but this is just sort of their jumping off point, right? Yeah, no, it is. It is. But one of the things Rex is interested in, you guys know this, a lot of these kids don't want to take the steps. They want to skip. Like it's, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a climate now with these young, where everything is like in a hurry. And the other difference, in my opinion, are are the parents. Like, it's just, it's a different time. And so what you talked about, you know, like I've, I've, we, we've talked, we talk about this as a staff, like, you know, let's say if you get a kid, like you talked about, like you get them and all of a sudden, you know, he's a, he's a local kid or for somewhere close and he has a following and, you know, he, 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 he can speak well, he's popular, he has this and he gets there and he's, and he's not ready but you have some older guys that don't get these opportunities, but they know this guy, like how, how is that locker room then? You know, and even for us as a coach, we don't have anything to do with it, but they probably think we do. They probably think you're promote you're pushing this and things like that. And so one of the things we've tried to do is to be incredibly transparent. I've always been that way, but even more so now with the kids, with their parents, they're in the recruiting process when they're here, I think communication has always been huge. I think it's even bigger now. Yeah. It's so it's it's so intricate in so many ways we we can't even understand. And like, how difficult is it going to be for a coach and an institution to monitor the opportunities for these kids to make sure it's done right, and then to educate them on these kids haven't paid taxes before. They've never paid taxes. Yeah. You know. And that's real. That ain't no NCAA violation right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you help them get an accountant? Do you teach? You know, that's really, that's difficult, especially for some 17, 18 year old. I don't know that there's a question there. It's just amazing how intricate this is. And it's probably the hardest time ever to be a college coach. Yeah, it's different. I mean, with COVID and this. Yes. It's got to be incredibly the, difficult. The, 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 the one-time transfer thing. I mean, you're basically yeah, yeah. dealing with free agents. I mean, that, that's what it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, and, and, and it's all these different things that you – like you have to recruit your guys over and over. You know, right now we have more access to our players than we've ever had. Like my guys are here basically 11 months out of the year. Yeah. We have more access with them. But we also have to recruit them. Over and yeah, over. Yeah. You know, what if you, and the thing we've talked to our guys about, okay, you have these wow. deals, right? If you aren't performing well, what happens to the deal? Like this is a bit, yeah. something you have to understand. And so really trying to educate them on all these different things. You, 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 uh, you brought up a, a coach K earlier. And I, I've often wanted to ask you guys who played at Duke and, and for some of the legendary coaches, you know, I, I grew up watching 
Dean Smith in the four corners and, and Roy was a young uh, assistant who recruited uh, me for, for them at that age. So I go way back watching lefty Drizelle and all that stuff. Um, I I'm just the game and you, you started coaching head coaching at 27, right? Youngest yes. coach. Yeah. At, at, at the time. And the game has changed for youth in, in call it 20 years. I know that. I watch Coach K now, and, you know, they'll come down and shoot three threes in a row, miss them, and in your day, you're coming out. You're coming out. You're going to sit over here. not coming out forever, but you're going to sit about sit and think about this, that these guys, and when I say that, all these guys that are, you know, kind of in his class, that they've been able to adapt and change their, you know, it's ball screens. Ball screen? I couldn't get a ball screen in college if my life depended on it. It was just clear out, kind of. Yeah. You didn't want to. And so I, the game has changed, obviously. I'm just amazed. Uh, are you at the way that guys like him, elite guys like that, who have a, you know, you've got a, you've got a system. He's yeah. gone from, you know, a lot of a system to realizing, hey, it's about the talent. And these guys are multi-talented. They're long. They're you know, are you as surprised as I am that at the adaptability? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not just because I, I've known him since I was 17. And uh, I think that's been his – I think that's his biggest gift is his, his – I think it's one of his biggest gifts is his ability to adjust and adapt and to understand that the game has changed. If you think about it, you know, he won during the 80s. And he did that, you know, where he allowed – a six ten Danny Ferry to shoot threes to play on the perimeter and do that. Where he, you know, kind of had a positionless guy like a Grant Hill that at six eight six nine did everything. Leitner went away from the basket and did that. I, I think his biggest adjustment has been adapting to the one and done. That that's yeah. where I think is the biggest adjustment is because everything else. But the other thing, I, the thing that was fascinating when I went back there and worked because I knew him as my coach. Yeah. That's it. Obviously, I stayed in touch when I left there. But going back and being around him, working with him every day for seven years, I think the thing that, that, that fascinated me probably the most was his willingness to understand when things are changing and then to say, OK, how do we become the best at that? Day? Wow. You know, so, for instance, like social media, coaches in his 70s, he doesn't understand social, but he understands the power of it. And he understands that it's not going away. So instead of being, you know, this old guy, it's like, well, this makes no sense. This is stupid. Instead, it's like, okay, how do we become the best at it? Then? How do we become really good? How do we utilize this to help us be better? And that's the thing that I marveled at with him, just how smart he was with that stuff. Uh, Rex alluded to, I wanted, because I wanted to add, this is kind of a two-part question. Uh, you were the youngest coach uh, in Division one basketball when you were hired at Virginia Commonwealth, you're 27 years old. Yeah. A, you said earlier that you never wanted to coach. You know, you wanted to do different things. What changed? Um, how, how did you fall in love with this profession? And also, if you could go back and, and talk to that 27 year old who was just hired, what would you tell him now? So what changed for me? Um, 
my first year out of school, I played in the CBA. So it, it was weird. Like I was getting ready for the Chicago pre-draft camp after I graduated. It was in May. I was in the gym working out by myself and I went up to shoot a jump shot and I ruptured a disc in my back. And so I was out from May until about middle of August. So didn't get drafted, didn't you know do any of that stuff. Uh, I was supposed to go to camp with Milwaukee. They had concerns about my back. So that didn't happen. I played my first year in Grand Rapids, Michigan, had a really good year. When that season was over with, um, I went and did workouts, you know, for NBA teams. And Rex, I don't know if you know this, but one of the workouts, it was a mini camp with Phoenix. And as an undrafted guy, you're kind of looking at who has roster spots. Right. And I'll never forget, I was there from like the 27th to the 30th of June. And it was probably the best I, and I, I was pretty good, but it's the best I ever played. Like I played really, really well there. So much so on the last day, Danny Ainge brought me in. Frank Johnson was the coach. Danny brought me in and he said, like, look, we love you. Like, we, when this, the lockout's going to start tomorrow. <laughs> when this lockout's over, we'd love to have you back. And I remember him saying, like, we're going to sign a veteran point guard to back Jason up. And then we had Rex as the two guard. <laughs> we would love for you to come be the backup two guard and the third point guard because I was a combo guy. And so I said, okay, lockout started. I said I was going to take some time off. But about three days later, I was back in the gym working out. And then I started having this incredible stomach pain. And for about a month, they couldn't figure out what was going on. It would not go away. I remember this. And it was the same time that Daryl Strawberry was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I remember watching an interview. I had every symptom that he had, but they couldn't figure out. They had run all these tests. And so after about a month and a half, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. And so sure enough, when the, and you know, there's no cure for it. So they have to find the right kinds of medication. When the lockout was over with, Danny called me, hey, he wants you to come out. We have a ticket. I was 160 pounds. Wow. I had lost 35 pounds. I wow. lost 40 pounds. And uh, I wanted to go. My parents wouldn't let me because I was so sick. And so I missed that whole year of playing. And it was during that time Damn. that I started to get a little bit better. I started going to my dad's practices at Old Dominion. And that's kind of when I got the bug to coach. And so then I wanted to give it one more try. I went out the following summer to Golden State. I was going to play in their summer league. I got out there. I played a couple of days before we headed out to Vegas. They did an x-ray on my back. I had bone on bone on my spine because I never had surgery. So I had to have surgery. The biggest mistake that I made, I had surgery the second week of July. In the middle of August, I took a job in France to go play. And it was because I'd been out of school for two years, played in the CBA, so you make no money. My second year, I didn't play. I felt like a lo I'm living at home with my parents. I probably was dealing with depression. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like I had no yes. money. I'm at yes. home dealing with depression. And so I took this job in France. I go over there. I'm physically not ready. I'm miserable. <laughs> and I like they cut me after a month. I go back to the CBA. I'm playing sparingly. So I knew then, you know what, this is over with. I go back and I start hanging around my dad's team again. 
And that's when I knew, okay, this is what I want to do. My dad allowed me to help out a little bit with his team at Old Dominion. I, I, I was a young coach. I thought I could have this amazing impact. And so season's over with. I become my dad's assistant at Old Dominion for a year, which is the most fun I ever had coaching, being his assistant, get, getting to see him in his element. My dad gets fired. I remember being at the Final Four, passing out resumes, doing all that stuff. I get hired at VCU. And midway through that season, the AD comes to me and says, the head coach is going to resign. You know, we think you're the guy. That's how it happened. I mean, it was, it was the craziest wow. thing, you know, of how it happened. But that's, that's how it happened for me. And what I would go back and tell that guy, Josh, don't pay attention to the noise. Just do the job. Like, I heard everything everybody said about me. Like, how did this happen? He's only been a coach. I'd never been on the road recruiting as an assistant. First time I ever went out recruiting was as the head coach. And so I heard, I heard the local media taking shots at me. I heard other people in the profession taking shots at me. I heard that. And that's what I would say. Just don't pay attention to that. Just do the job. And I'm really proud of what we did at VCU. Not just that we won, but we changed the culture um, because it, was, it, it wasn't great when I got there. But we did that. We changed the culture. I was fortunate to have really good kids. and uh, But that's what I would tell that young guy. Man, I, I'm so glad you shared that story. Um, one, of, one of the things I'm most thankful for, it, it really, in my career is that Josh, you, my high school teammates, all of our high school teammates loved it just as much as I did. And I didn't have to think about hanging it up at 22, 23, 24. And I can't imagine yeah. <laughs> if that's, you know, because we've all done the same drills, the same lines, all that makes yeah. it, I get choked up thinking about having to make that decision, you yeah. know, and what that ha had, you've got to go through mourning. I mean, it's all uh, you've ever done from age five, yeah. Jeff. It becomes your identity. Yeah. It becomes kind of like who you think you are. Like at the time I was, as all this was happening when I finished school after my first year, when you know the diagnosis with, with the Crohn's and colitis thing and the back stuff, like I started dating my wife during this time. Right. right. And so she kind of went through that. And so she was with me when I had nothing, but it, it was like that. That's, I mean, you like, it's kind of like, that's who you are as a basketball yeah. player. If you're making shots, if you're winning, you feel good if you don't, you feel like a loop, you feel, you know, all these things. And so it's, it's really affected me as a coach. Like I try to get my guys to really understand you like, you're really, like you're really good guys that you're just happen to be pretty good at basketball, it's, but it's not who you are. That's right. Don't let it define who you are. I did. I did too. And it almost took me out. I mean, it, it really did, man. I mean, I living had, by the box score, living for that, yes. you know, the, what the coaches think, you know, what the coaches what think, man. Yes. Oh my gosh. What the coaches yeah, right. think. What right. the fans think, you know what I mean? Like you, and so I had to do a lot of soul searching. Um, and fortunately, I had some great people around me to help me, you know, navigate through that. Well, you obviously had a are, are having a great coaching career, and the twenty seven year old he knew a little bit about what he, he was doing. So, so that was great. I have a, a couple questions. Oklahoma, yep, second year. You recruit Blake Griffin. Yeah. Come to your school. What's that feel like? You you know, actors, you know, we get 
told no a lot more than we get told yes. And yeah. when you're recruiting, it's like that. <laughs> What's it like to get a yes from a guy that is a program changer? Yeah, you know, it was, Josh, it, it, it was incredible because at that time, you know, th this is interesting. I'm not sure I've shared this with anyone publicly, but I had some doubts of if I had made the right decision when I went to Oklahoma. You know, when I took the job, the first time I stepped foot in the state was for the press conference. And, you know, I get there, I do the press conference. Next day I go into the office and that's when I found out about the sanctions from the previous coaching staff, the, the restrictions that we had. Now, it shows you how you that as the it shows you how naive I was during the interview process. Like that's that's one of the things I realized when I went to Oklahoma was how naive I was to the difference of big time college basketball to mid major because that's what VCU was at the time. It was a it, it was a good mid major. It's yeah. become an elite mid major and really like a high major program. But I started doing that, and then if you remember. They had a top 10 recruiting class, Scotty Reynolds, mm -hmm. Damian James, Jeremy Mayfield, Keith Clark, and Tony Crocker. And so the guy that I knew a little bit was Scotty Reynolds because I was at VCU. He was from Northern Virginia and I'd seen him play or whatever. And so during that whole, I was hired on a Tuesday during that whole first week, I'm texting with those guys and they're great. Like we're going to win a championship together, coach. We're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. On Monday, the following Monday, I started going out to see those guys because we could go out recruiting. And I went up to Oklahoma City to see Keith Clark, who was signed, and I went and met him. I, I mean, I went and met him, saw him and see the coach and see the guidance counselor looking at the transcript. When I leave to go back, I was going to fly later that afternoon to Texas to see Damian James, Jeremy Mayfield, and Tony Crocker. And as I'm driving back to the school, I have a message from Scotty Reynolds saying that he wanted to be released from his letter of intent. And so I'm trying to navigate that. I go to Nacogdoches to see Damian James. Good conversation with him, but he and Scotty are really close. And I'm thinking, okay, they probably haven't talked. By the time I get to Dallas to see Jeremy Mayfield and I leave there and headed to San Antonio, I get a call from uh, uh, Damian James's people like I want to be released from my day oh. and then by the time I leave San Antonio that night I get a message from Jeremy Mayfield I want to be released and so that was on Monday welcome I to go, Oklahoma yes and so I go Wednesday I fly to Northern Virginia to see Scotty Reynolds because I'm like just let me get in front of you and when I walked in the house and I start doing the home visit I realized I'm wasting my time and it was one of those. And I remember my wife drove up from Richmond because she was practicing law. She was still in Richmond and we didn't have kids at the time. And I remember when we left the house, we walked to the car, we got in the car and I said to her, I promise I will never ask you to do this again, to come on a home visit or anything like that. Cause it was one of those uncomfortable, right. like, like times there. And we get back, we, we, we drive to the hotel because I'm flying out the next day and I'm trying to call because I have a voicemail from Damian James, this guy, and I'm trying to call this guy like to, you know, what, like to talk to him. And I find, and I'm trying to call Damian. 
So finally we get to the hotel and I'm calling, I, you know, star 67, whatever it is. So they can't mm-hmm. see the number. And Damien answers the phone and I am begging, like, just give me a chance. We had a great visit. We had a great talk. We had this or whatever. And we get off, I get off the phone and my wife just burst out crying. And she says to me, what are we doing? We are leaving a place where they love you. These kids would do anything for this shit. Excuse my language, but that's what she said. And so I get her calmed down. We go in. I take her to the airport the next, or she drives home. I'm driving to the airport. And I talked to Damian James' high school coach. And I said to him, look, man, he, he said he'd give me a chance. We can come back down, blah, 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 or whatever. And he says to me, you know, coach, that wasn't Damian that you talked to. When he realized it was you on the phone, he gave the phone to his brother. I'll be down. And so I'm just like, you know, I, I fly back to Oklahoma. I get back to my office and Jeremy Mayfield's people have asked again, I want to be released. And so I go in my office. This is a true story. I go in my office and I close the door and I sit there and my computer's on and AOL instant. Me- this is how old this is. AOL instant messenger. You got mail. It was the instant <laughs> messenger. I get a thing that pops up from my point guard at VCU, Eric Maynard. And it just says, Coach, man, I really miss you. And I'm sitting there, man, and I have tears coming down, like, what have I done? And so this is all in April. I started talking to Blake Griffin, like when I had no idea who he was. I knew his brother was on my team, Taylor. And so I developed a relationship there. Blake and I, because I couldn't make phone calls because of the restrictions. Fortunately, I could text. So we would text every day. He would call me. He would come over and like hang out in the office with me. And I remember I asked him the first time I talked to him, like, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And he told me the things that it's a small town, Oklahoma. He's like ranked in the eighties when I get the job about a week later, I see him play for the first time. And I was blown away. (laughs) And I remember saying to him, like, you need to call me. And I told him like, you need to change every goal that you have. You're not thinking big enough. Like, dude, you could, you could, you could be like, you're a pro. It's just a matter of what level you want to be. Like, I think you can be a national player of the year. I think you can be the first player. To, I think you could help kind of like change the power forward position. And a month later, man, he commits. And so when I was going through like, what am I doing Beautiful. or whatever, it was just like this guy believed in me. Like he yeah. believed in me because of the relationship. And I remember he came over. I don't remember the date. It was game seven of the Pistons in Cleveland playoff series. And he came over and watched the game with me. And then when he was leaving, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, coach, I just want to let you know I'm ready to commit. You're the guy I want to play for. Man. And so that changed amazing. everything. Goosebumps. Highs and lows, all these, the highs right. and lows of all your stories are amazing. Because then two years later, you have an incredible team. Yep. Ended up being the uh, a two seed. Should have been a one because you lost a couple of games when, when Blake went out with the yeah. uh, concussion, right? Yeah. Should have been a one seed, unbelievable team. You're going through uh, the tournament, shooting lights out, playing great. And then you get to the lead eight yeah. against Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and, exactly. <laughs> and, and then you go, your team, oh for 15 from three and end up being like two for 19 from three and lose a game 
the highs and lows and, and do, people do not understand how hard it is to win a national championship in a single elimination tournament. Yeah. You know, you know, speak on all of that. Yeah. Well, it was an amazing team. I mean, we had a, we had a really good team. Blake decided to come back for a sophomore year. You know, we had a good core group coming back. One of the things I felt we needed was an elite guard, you know, to kind of go along with them. And we had a unbelievable freshman in Willie Warren, who was the big 12 rookie of the year. Um, and we just, you know, we were, I always say we were a concussion away. We were 25 and one. We were playing at Texas. Uh, it was college game day. If we win for the first time, we will be number one in the country because I think Carolina had lost earlier that day to someone. And so if we win that game that night, we have the best shoot around we've had since I've been there. I thought we were going to beat the brakes off of Texas. And then midway through the first half, Blake gets hit and comes back to the bench and sneezes and blood goes everywhere. And he's out. It's like, and it messed us up because it's like Superman is wobbled. Like he, we right. had to literally, you know, whatever. And so, you know, I, I felt like that year that us and Carolina were the two best teams. And if we could have avoided them, but it's also, it was a game that I knew our guys wanted. I knew Blake wanted a piece of Hansborough the whole year. Um, and if you go back and you watch, like we, they, they were really good. I mean, shoot, they that were. team was one of the better college basketball teams. And they knew how to win. They had gotten beat the year before by Kansas. They got killed. And that whole group was back. And so, you know, to me, they obviously were really good. They, but they had been there. And they knew that, like, the moment wasn't too big for them. That moment, I'm not saying it was too big, but, you know, sometimes you can want it so bad that you're just so yeah. amped up that you can't do anything because you want it so bad. But it was an amazing year. Um, obviously, was incredibly happy for Blake. His brother got drafted. That class of Austin Johnson, who was my point guard, he stuck with me, you know, once the coaching change was made and was really, really good and had a great senior year. Um, and so was really, really proud of that group. Then all of a sudden, hell broke loose after that in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, and so it went, you know, from here to boom, the bottom fell yeah, out. Just like bottom that. to the top to the bottom. I, I yeah. mean, life happened. A, a myriad of things conspired. And here you are. How do you maintain the enthusiasm when you've got all this, all this momentum and the wheels fall off? Yeah. How do you as a coach keep the enthusiasm, keep the work ethic? Yeah. You know, it was, you know, for me, it was also personally hard. Like I told you earlier, when I would tell that young coach, don't pay attention to the noise. I was still really listening to the noise. And if you think about it, I had just finished my eighth year as a head coach and I'd never had a losing season. And to be honest with you, I probably had gotten a little bit arrogant, <laughs> you know, because it happened so fast. You know, my second year at BCU, we're in the NCAA tournament. You know, my fourth, by, by, at 27, I'm a head coach. At 31, I'm a head coach in a power five. By 33, I'm in the elite eight, 33, 34, whatever I was. And so it happened so fast. And I probably, and then, you know, that next year, we have the Big 12 rookie of the year coming back. And we have this top five, top 10 recruiting class coming in. You know, we have two McDonald's All-Americans signed. And I'm not going to say that we didn't work. I, I still think I had the same hunger you know, and things like that, it's just, 
that was the year for me. That's like the worst job I did as a head coach that year. Mm-hmm. No button that I pushed worked. Um, it, it just, it, it just, it, and then at the end of that year, there was this accusation of an NCAA violation that happened. Um, you know, that that's the thing that rocked everything. Mm-hmm. The losing certainly did. Don't get me wrong. This, the losing did, but you know, I felt like we had a plan for that, um, you know, for the following year, but we're at the big 12 tournament and all of a sudden that's where this accusation came and I wasn't prepared for that. I couldn't. Yeah. And then that took on a life of its own. You know, you go from after that, you know, elite eight year, you get a brand new seven year contract and things like that. Two years later, you're fired. Yeah. Amazing. Um, over something that, you know, look, it's been, it's been 11 years, 12 years now. If I did something, I'd tell you. <laughs> I, I, <won't. laughs> I honestly you. didn't know what was happening. And it was a really unfortunate situation all around. You know, for me, I've had to live with that since then. You know, I felt like I was fighting for my name, for my reputation. I've had to deal with that since then. And I understand it. It's something that's probably going to stick with me for the rest of my life and career. I take full responsibility for it. I was the leader. I was in charge of the program. I hated that it happened. I hated that it happened to the University of Oklahoma, to those fans, that, you know, something that I was in charge of put them through that. Uh, they obviously moved on. They hired a great coach in Lon Kruger, and he did amazing things there. I learned from it. Um, I'm a big believer that things happen for a reason. I got better because of it. I got a chance to go back to my alma mater. They saved me. They gave me a lifeline. I got a chance to really learn a lot, probably more how to run a program. I thought I was a good coach, but understanding the nuances of a program, the big picture, I got a chance to learn that. I got a chance to be a part of a team uh, that, 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 that won a national championship. It was something that I had been chasing since my freshman year, since we lost in the finals to Arkansas to be a part of an amazing group uh, to do that. I got a chance to be uh, a part of the journeys of some amazing kids. And I got a chance, man, to reconnect with my coach and for that relationship to, to, to grow on a deeper level. And so I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for all those things that happened because they prepared me for this unbelievable task that we have here at the University of Pittsburgh. Takes a lot of uh, a lot of soul searching and emotional intelligence to be able to articulate that, Coach. Uh, um, I appreciate you, your honesty and and being vulnerable enough to to share that stuff with us. Uh, I I know we can keep you all day, uh, but I do want to get to a couple other things. You coached uh, with Coach K on several or, or on on USA team uh, Olympics. Yeah. What what do you feel like? that staff and those players are going through right now? It's hard. It's, 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 it's hard. You know, first of all, I think, I think they, they are being unfairly criticized. That's my personal opinion because I know in 2014 with the world cup and then in 2016 with the Olympics, I was a part of the putting together of both teams and everything that led up to them becoming a team. And there was a lot that went into that. I think COVID has really dampened or hindered, I should say, the team building process. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make, and we make it as Americans, is that it should be easy. 
we should just win automatically. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's the arrogance of our country. I don't think Pop believes that in the coaching staff. I know they don't. I don't think the players believe that. But I think some of the pundits, some of the people here, they think that. I can tell you in 2014, we had about a month of being together and practicing before we played anybody. The same thing in 2016 with the Olympics. You know this. You guys know this. You're basketball guys. These guys are really good. These, these other countries. We can't, we can't simulate what it means to represent the United States to what those guys. Maybe the 2018 could because we had gotten beat. Right. You know what I mean? But you also look at that roster. You know, Kobe, LeBron, yeah. you know, those guys yeah. like that in 12. Kobe, LeBron you know, KD, yes. you know, and things like that. And so I think they're being unfairly criticized. I commend them for putting it on the line, for going out there. Now, are there some things that we have to do? You know, and then the other thing is that we can't lose. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. I'm watching the game the other day of Australia and Nigeria in the first round of the Olympics in pool play. And the commentators are talking about they played in Vegas. And how Mike Brown talked about they didn't even do a game plan because they didn't want to show their hand. Because if they lose, it's okay. Yeah. Right? We can't lose an exhibition. If we lose an exhibition game, all hell breaks loose. And I get that. I understand that. But I hate it for those guys. I hate it for Pop. I I do. There's plenty of time to get it back together. I think they will. But I just hate what they're going through right now. I do too. And you bring up a great point. I, I, it just, I heard someone say the other day, these guys don't even look like they want to be there. And I just wanted to throw myself yes. at the TV because yes. I mean, let's go back to a guy like KD missed the whole year of playing, came back, played this year, probably could use some time off straight to the Olympics. Dame Lillard deep into the playoffs, not a highly regarded guy coming out. This is his chance chance. to play on the Olympic team. These guys that are over there, Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, who just came from game six of the finals. Three days later, they're playing in an Olympic uniform, in a USA uniform. I I don't get it either. Uh, And it's not like they don't know what goes into it. Like they don't. I mean, you as an NBA player, right? All of those guys that are on this team, with the exception of Draymond um, and, and Keldon Johnson, correct me if I'm wrong, I think all of them made the playoffs. They And they all played in the bubble, with they the exception the of Draymond. Okay. Yeah, so I was going to say, they come this off back and that. to back seasons, basically. Yes, and then from all of the guys that I know in the NBA, the guys that I coach, the guys that I know that are in the front office or in coaching, they talked about how this season – was as difficult because after the all-star break, the number of games they played without having an extended break, right? They played every other day. Every other night. How difficult that was. And so, Rex, I would be interested in you. Like, when your season was – like, you make the – like, Dame Lillard, Tatum, these guys – like, Tatum, Brad – they lose in the playoffs. Kevin Durant, they go to the second round. They lose in a game seven. You just coming off of a bubble, KD an injury, going through this season, you take a break. Yeah. You take a break. And then you go back. What I'm saying to you, what those guys did in 2014 and in 2016, they used the month that we had together before the World Cup, 
in the Olympics to get in shape. Yeah. This, yeah. this group wasn't afforded that because the right. season was so long. You had no time to get prepared. And then you go out, you play Nigeria, who's we know is pretty good. Australia is one of the best teams over there. Yeah. It's not our game. That's the other thing. We have most of the guys on this team, with the exception of KD and Draymond, have not played in the Olympics. Some of these guys, this is their first experience with FIBA. It's different. It's different. And and I, the second I saw the first game, yes. I went, you know what? Jason Tatum and Dame Lillard, because in our league, you can't touch guys anymore. Yes. And you get touch fouls. And in FIBA, you play it's old school, hit them yeah. basketball, get checked. You get hit, you know, yeah. you still, still pretty much on the ball. You can't touch a guy, but it's a different game. And our it's guys are going to have to, it's going to be, they got to learn that relearn it on the fly playing through all the whistles. That's different. It's a 40 minute game instead yeah. of 48 minutes. And so in the pros, you could maybe take a quarter to get into it or whatever. You can't do that now. Like it's, yeah. it's the root It's five files instead of six. So the other day, KD was in foul trouble. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and so it's it's all these different adjustments that 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 you have to make. And and I I just think it's I think it shows the arrogance of our country at times when you hear these people say, "Well, they should be winning. It's no excuse or whatever." These teams don't fear us anymore either. <laughs> That's right. And the Evan Fournier that played for Orlando and Boston is not the Evan Fournier That's that right. plays for France. The Patty Mills that plays for San Antonio is not the Patty Mills that plays that plays for Australia, and unless you've seen it, you don't really understand right. that. Man, you don't. Coach, what's your favorite movie? All time, The Godfather. Well, got another <laughs> greatest Godfather movie ever right made. That was a go. quick answer too. Yes. What What about uh, uh, if you could have dinner with anybody right now? Just sit down. If I could have one person, like what What were we doing? One person, yeah, you one person, you get to chew their ear for an hour and a half. Person living or just anyone? Let's say anyone. Anyone. If I could have dinner with anyone, it would be my father. Oh, I would. I would do. That. I would give anything to do that one more time. What about Fantastic. front row center for uh, to to watch any entertainer, dead or alive, or any speaker, Ooh. anything? Front row center to watch any entertainer. For me, I, I would love to see Michael Jackson. Nicely done. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nicely done. Never got a chance to see him. I would love to see one of his shows. What, real quick, one. real yeah. quick to direct you. Go ahead, buddy. You, uh, you're the first player and player that was came off the K tree of coaching. Uh, uh, first player that played for him that beat him. <laughs> How'd that feel? You know, honestly, it, it felt great, but it was weird. I bet. It, it felt great. I bet. But it was, it was, I remember after the game, I didn't want to show too much excitement or emotion. Uh, it, you know, again, I, I know the history. Coach K is the first former player to beat Coach Knight. And oh. what that, and that was in a Final Four. Wow. And what that did to that relationship, put a shed of time. And I never want anything to, you know, I never want anything to happen like that with Coach and myself because of how much he means to me. Um, and so when I got back to the locker room, obviously my guys were excited. Look, you beat Duke. For me, it's our third year. We're trying to rebuild. 
you know, in, in year two, we were able to beat Carolina twice, which was a huge deal. And then to, you know, come and beat Duke and to play well like we did. It, 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 it was a big deal, but it was kind of weird, it, to be honest with you. But it was, it was amazing. I bet. Uh, last thing I've got, and then uh, we'll, let, we'll let you run. Played at Duke. You left for a while, went back, coached at Duke. So you, you have to have, have you put your finger on exactly what it is that makes Duke so special, but makes Kentucky so elite. <laughs> Have you been able to, to <laughs> decipher what it is that makes Kentucky so much better? <laughs> the only thing I would say is that you guys have a bigger, a bigger probably local fan base. Nationally, okay. Duke is probably better. Your arena is bigger. <laughs> uh, so just giving us all the hollow victories. Giving yeah, us all the hollow victories. Our guy has five himself. Uh, um, uh, but no, it's, 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 two, it's two unbelievable programs. Absolutely. You know, I, I'll tell you a quick story, and this is a true story. So in 2015, obviously, you guys had that unbelievable team. Yeah. Our guys at Duke. Wanted to play you guys so bad. I'm telling you, like, that's – and it, it's weird. Like, by the time we got to, like, the middle of January, early February – I see – do you see his face already? Do yeah, you see I would hear agony? our guys say, like, when we'd be watching games, we'd be on the road or sitting around in the locker room. So it wasn't a say, smart bunch. They weren't yeah. a smart bunch? <laughs> <laughs> they would say – they would, like, man, I hope we play them for the championship, and I hope they're undefeated. Oh, that would have been great. So this is a true story. I'm live. We had just beat Michigan State in the Final Four. I'm live scouting you guys against Kentucky. I mean, you guys against Wisconsin. And when you lost, I was worried for us, for the Wisconsin game, because our team that year, obviously they were good. They were really good. But they were, if they had already beaten you, they kind of thought it would be easy. And so we had beaten Wisconsin at Wisconsin earlier in the year. And I was worried because they were so like, we want Kentucky. We want Kentucky. We want them to be undefeated. We want it for the national championship game. And that's what it looked like it was going to be. And so the ratings for the Duke-Wisconsin game were the most since the, the, the when the Cavs came back against uh, Golden State. Wow. Imagine what those ratings would have been <laughs> for Duke-Kentucky for the national I championship. I can't imagine. I, I have to jog. think about because that is such a brutal loss yeah. for our fan base. Yeah. I mean, I can't. Why, God? <laughs> Can you believe he brought that up, Josh? <laughs> you know, here's the thing: you and I, you and I met in Indianapolis that weekend. We meet to go. I had to work the game, but then we're yes. going to meet, have the day off, come back for the championship game. We lost. He left. I didn't see him. We didn't speak for like a week because we couldn't because everybody was so sick over it. Yeah. I walked around a like a thing. zombie. But the really? one the one solace I have, if, if I think about it, I'm like, the only worst thing would have been if we are undefeated in the finals and get beat by Duke. That would have been the only worst thing. So it maybe, you know, yeah, maybe the universe it saved or us. God, whatever you talk yeah. to was like, you know what? I know what will happen. So 
Wisconsin's going to hit every shot. <laughs> Possibility. Uh, <laughs> uh, coach, thanks so much, man. We'll let you get, get back to practice, get back to some of those kids and your family. Thanks. Let's do this again. Hey, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks so All much, Coach. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Wow. I love that mm -hmm. one, Josh. Jeff Cable. Jeff Second Cable. Dookie. Our second and last Dookie. Now ah, we like those Dookies, apparently. I guess we so. didn't they like them so like much guys. I know. I hate them though. I sure do hate them. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how, especially the coaches, but all the successful people we have on here are so in love with their job and so passionate and just eat and drink and breathe it. And <laughs> he's no, no exception. God, he's, he's, he's all basketball 24 I mean, seven. Scott drew. Rick. Jeff. Rick, you can, recruiters, recruiters, yeah. salesmen. They love it. They, they love it. it they don't go in there and being like, I'm trying to sell you an Etzel. Right. They know, they love it. They love they it. They go into that because I'm going to, they believe it. They do. And they believe, you know, they believe that they're, they're the best teacher, you know, and they are, they're terrific. Mm -hmm. I mean, being, being recruited by those guys anyway, love it. A dookie. Um, well, Josh, you know what? Maybe we do this again next week. What do you think? I'd love to do that. I would, would really you? love to do it. Oh, you know what's that, what's something I want to talk about? Just two things, two things. Number one, every time I see that Pitt logo, all, I think, send it in, Jerome. Send it in, Jerome. <laughs> Jerome Lane <laughs> from Sean course. Miller. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. It was and secondly, awesome. we were talking about the, the FIBA and the Olympics and basketball and how the world has caught up. Not all – you know, they haven't surpassed us despite how we're playing. And we'll talk mm -hmm. about that and have talked about it. But why haven't we caught up in soccer? It's a mm. huge youth sports. Yeah. For us. We need, if we could just have one transcendent player, you know, that the entire country could get behind and be proud of. What, why haven't we done that? Why aren't we challenging for those things? What's the difference? I don't know. I was going to say something really basketball elitist, so I'm not going to say it. Um, have, <laughs> I, <bet laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I love soccer. I want to love soccer. You love it. My son, our our buddy Zeke loves it. Zeke loves it. Love He's 28. It. People love it. I just don't love it like But anyway. Uh, uh, but what if we were great? What if we had a player oh. that was oh, I'm on the bandwagon. That was was the best in the world. What if we had that guy? What if we had the LeBron of soccer? Can't Anybody wait. Be into it, and then Sign the whole country up. would get into it. Yeah, yeah. Let's invent that guy. Let's invent. Okay, that. okay, all right. okay. We'll do. Okay. Uh, all right, buddy. Well, let's meet up this time uh, next week. Back for the next episode of the Rex Chapman Show with Super Cool. Josh Hawkins, powered by Basket Bull, Basket Bull, Basket, Basket by Boward Pool, powered by basketballnews.com. Next one.